going to be looking this morning at Luke's Gospel. So if you would, turn to Luke's Gospel with me. We're going to be in chapter 6, looking at verses 46 through 49. Again, that is Luke 6, 46 through 49. And as you're turning there, I'd like to begin this morning and ask you to think for a moment about the oldest possession that you have. What's the oldest thing that you own that you can think of that might be in your house, might be on your property? What is the oldest thing that you can say that I have this? Now, some of you might be thinking of some, some antiques, okay? maybe some furniture, maybe it's 100 years old, maybe even pushing 150 years old. Maybe someone in here has a family clock you've passed on from generation to generation. Maybe it's even a couple centuries old. A sharp person in here will start to get really technical and realize there's probably some rocks on my property. They're as old as dirt, right? So, so you, you're the sharp person in the room. Maybe someone in here is like, well, it's not a rock, but it has some fossils. Those are really old, and we could debate about how old they are, but I'm not going to go there today. Uh, but of all these things, uh, but all these things that you can think of, and you probably have something in your mind now, of all these things that you have that are really old, how many of these are alive? They're living. It's a living thing. Now consider this, church. For those of you who are in this room, who've been baptized into Christ's church, who believe in his name, the oldest living possession that you have is the church itself. The church is living. Maybe it's even village church, but even if you're not a member of this church, we all need to realize that village church is simply part of a, a greater body of Christ, right? The, the living body of Christ, the church of Christ. Living stones is the way that Peter describes the church. So it's alive. It's a, it's a body. It's, it's vital. It's got life to it. And in this sense, it's as much our church as it is our visitors from Powell and all the churches that we're pulling from this morning. We can all say we're coming together and we have the body of, the Christ, body of Christ. It's alive, it's living, and it's ours, and we are a part of it. Now, that alone is a thought-provoking idea. But when Scripture speaks of the church, it does not only speak of it from the universal sense, you know, the, the capital C church sense. Okay? It many times addresses the church from the local perspective. So a church of the many churches, a, a particular church. Okay? Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, he's writing to a church, okay? not necessarily to all the churches. He writes uh, to the church in Rome. He writes to the churches in Galatia uh, as a, a small body of churches. He writes to the church of the Thessalonians and even to Corinth. Paul will write to the church of Corinth, which still actually stands today as a Christian church, still worshiping. Yes, they're in the Greek Orthodox tradition, but that's an amazing thing that, that Paul wrote to a church that still stands today. Now, Jesus, when he addresses the local churches, he does the same thing. He'll, he'll write to a church. You're probably familiar with the, the beginning of the book of Revelation, right? The seven churches. Okay? These are seven particular churches. He'll, he'll write to the church in Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and so on. Okay? And he nearly always includes the possibility of these individual churches dissolving when he speaks to them. Or worse, of the church, the particular church, continuing uh, worshiping, or continuing coming together, but he'll disown it and say that he deems it a synagogue of Satan. Things like that. Where they're still going on, but he says, that's not mine. Okay, so on the one hand, Jesus will say that he builds his church on the rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is a truth that we all hold near and dear to us. That's an absolute statement that the capital C church, Jesus, the body of Christ, will always stand. But this was in regard to the universal church. 
right? What we confess when we're talking about the Apostles' Creed, one holy uh, Catholic church, one holy universal church. We're all saying this is the big C church. Okay, that's one on one hand. But we have another hand over here where we come to our text today that presents to us the possibility of building a church on the wrong foundation. And this particular church is swept away. Okay, these are two things that we need to be able to bring together and think about as we uh, celebrate today 204 years. So we're going to look this morning at Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning, church. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The word of God for his people. Let's pray this morning, church. Father, as we come to a humbling text this morning, I pray that you would do just that, that you would humble us. I pray that you would help us to recognize your grace upon us. I pray that as we look at this scripture that we might see Christ clearly um, exhibited to us and that we might hold fast to him. I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, do the work that we can't do. We can't ready ourselves for the gospel. You are the person that opens hearts just like you opened Lydia's heart. You are the person that tills the soil of the, uh, the soul and readies our soil to be Ground ready to receive the word of God as the seed falls upon it. So, Lord, help us this morning to have ready hearts. Open our eyes spiritually. Give us ears to hear that we might hear what you are saying to this church this morning in 2023 as we celebrate 204 years as a church. Speak to us today, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we gather today to commemorate the 204th anniversary of this church, I want to approach our beloved village church on the same terms that the Bible does. Okay? On the one hand, we can affirm that Christ will never allow the gates of hell to prevail against it. Okay? That's the universal reality of the church. But on the other, we must affirm that if we have not built our church upon the foundation of the rock, which is Christ himself, that this church will collapse amid the floods of God's judgment. Okay, That's the local reality of the church. All of you know that not every church stands as, as it's been planted. Okay, Some churches dissolve. They, they close their doors. And you might think that this is a dour text to celebrate 204 years, but I believe that it's a fitting and sober way to celebrate. Okay, Sober celebrations within the church are not self-congratulatory. We're not here today to pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what a good job we've done. That's not why we're here today. Uh, Without a sober celebration, we might be tempted to celebrate recklessly, assuming our immunity to the stream as it breaks against us. And we've been here 204 years. We're going nowhere. Nothing can ever come against us. But as our text shows us, if we have built wrongly, then our ruin will be great. And all the more great after 204 years, right? 
So if you would, consider with me this morning why the ruin would be so great, as it says in verse 49. Verse 49 says, When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, when we speak of greatness in modern language, we almost always use it in a positive sense, don't we? Last night was great. Right? The other day we did this, and it was a great time. Now, this is because we generally believe that bigger is better, that greater is better. Okay, That's what we tend to think, that if it's great, it must be good. But here we find the sobering reality that something can be great and ruinous, disastrous. Great and a big problem. Bigger isn't always better. Okay? And the greatness of the ruin is not simply in the fact that the house was not there after the flood. It's not that, oh, now it's not there anymore. It's that the house was completely built, but upon the arrival of the stream, it was shown to be built upon faulty ground, and the entirety of it collapsed. Okay, that's why it's great. It's not that they began uh, construction and it rained early on in the process and some of the materials were ruined and they had to start over and build it back up and they succeeded in finishing it. That's not why it was great. It was that it was built up completely. It looked beautiful. It looked great. And then it was destroyed completely. And that's why the ruin was so great. Is that it's such a tragedy that here was this whole built up structure And now it's collapsed because it wasn't built right. Now the context here is speaking to the individual soul. It's speaking to you. Speaking to you, it's speaking to all of us in our own hearts. But if we apply it to the whole of the church, which is what I want to do this morning, what this picture tells us is that there's a possibility of building up an entire church, but then later finding that it was built upon a faulty ground. Okay, Think about that reality. And the scary part about this passage is it doesn't say that when uh, it doesn't say that the rain came immediately. Okay, it says that it immediately fell when the rain did come when the stream did break against it. But that does not say uh, that it was not standing for a while and wasn't housing many people when the stream finally did come. For all we know, it could have been there for 204 years before the stream finally broke against it. In fact, Jesus questions them why they call him Lord, Lord, and do not do what he says. Okay, so think about that. There's an implication here that we can take from this, that that they've professed Jesus for some time, enough time to where they can call him Lord, Master. Right? And you know other places in Scripture where people call Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And at the last day, Jesus will say what? I never knew you. I never knew you. So here again, we see a Lord, Lord. So the implication is, is that for some time, something's been going on. So there's a a span of time. And yet, not taking his word seriously can bring a great fall. So for our purposes today, I think that the time interval is important here, isn't it? Think about that. We need to ask ourselves this morning, church, is 204 years enough to deem things safe? We've been here for a really long time. Like, are we good? Is this fine? Can we sit back and say, now everything will keep falling in order? Like, obviously, we've been here so long. We're the oldest Cumberland church in Illinois. I mean, really? We've got it. This is what we're tempted to say. This is what we're tempted to do in our celebrations as we come to celebrate 204 years. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Consider the cataclysmic damage from the 1937 Illinois flood. 
Now, I don't think anyone in here, sadly, the last member that we had that I think that would have been around for this has passed just recently. I would have loved to have that conversation to talk to her about this. But 1937, a awful flood came to southern Illinois. It impacted everyone that lives around here. Okay, No one would forget it at that time. It's lived on in history so that generations passed down can say, oh, yeah, my great-grandfather told me about that. It is great in the damage that it done. And I'm sure that everyone assumed at the time that they were uh, – that they assumed that they were safe, that is, until the stream broke against their foundations. We've been living around here for years. We've never had a flood like that. It wouldn't come to us. I mean, we've been built up and we've, we've built our levees like we should and we're safe. It's probably the things that they were thinking in the time leading up to this. But in this flood, property damages in southern Illinois region alone. Okay, This isn't Illinois. This is southern Illinois alone. The damages amounted to more than $75 million. And now you're going to go, oh, wow, that was in 1937 money. Okay. In 2015, they did an estimate to bring this up a little bit today, which we know there's been a lot of inflation since then, 2015. In 2015, they said that would be equivalent to $1.2 billion. Okay, Add inflation on top of that. Upwards of $1.2 billion. Over 300 bridges were smashed, which I'm sure no one that drove over those bridges the day before they collapsed thought, uh, this bridge is going to be here forever. Or they, they, sorry, they probably all thought. They, they probably thought as they drove over it, this has been here for a long time. They, never, they didn't worry about the foundations crumbling. They didn't think about it. They just kept going on. They did, we drive over bridges every day, and we don't think, oh, so today's going to be the day. We just assume that it will continue to stand. So 300 bridges were smashed just in southern Illinois. Six schools were ruined. 1,200 submerged homes. This is underwater, like your home underwater. 4,000 people were left home, homeless in Harrisburg. Just Harrisburg. That's, a, that's more than twice the population of North City. Homeless, all of them. And damage in Shawneetown was so cataclysmic that the town relocated three miles inland to higher ground. We don't know it as Shawneetown anymore. What do we know it as? Old Shawneetown. We call it Old Shawneetown because they've moved on and they built another community. Similar to how we now call Village Church, Old Village Church, because there's no longer a center of city around here anymore, is there? This isn't the booming place anymore. It's about three miles that way. Interesting to think about. Now, now you might be thinking, I'm saying uh, here that we've become obsolete and we've been left behind. But another way of looking at this is that the churches are the last ones standing of the Old Village. Okay? People have come and went. They've left. There's no more super uh, markets around here. There, there probably never was a supermarket, but there's, there's no more uh, business around here. There's hardly even any people around here, but yet the, the churches still stand. Great ruin has not yet come upon us. And this is one way of thinking about old village church as it stands here on this road. People drive past it every day. And I was one of those people that wondered, are there any, is there anyone worshiping there anymore? Okay. People wonder these things because we stand out in this area where people have moved on from. But a sober outlook does not say that it's impossible that we could collapse, that we could close our doors, that we could become a historic site and put a little monument out there to say this was the oldest church in Illinois. Okay, And, and what we need to realize is that we need to constantly reevaluate what we're doing as a church 
We need to consider what we're doing right, and we need to consider what we're doing wrong. Okay? We need to have a, a sober outlook all the time that comes back and looks at what we are doing. In other words, we don't just say that we have faith um, and, and just kind of move blindly forward or hear and say, yeah, I'll, I'll do it later. We need to constantly repent and renew our walk with God through covenant renewal. As we come here each and every week, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to, to find the, the spot in our eye, the, 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 the planks in our eye and say, oh, we really need to work on this. We, we could collapse if we don't take care of this issue. Now, there, there's a crack in the foundation here. What's this? How do, we, how do we address that? So repentance is vital to the longevity of the church. When Jesus speaks to the seven churches in Revelation, there are so many of these great ruin warnings. You don't have to turn there in your Bible, but if you, were to, uh, if you did turn to Revelation, you would see that there are uh, warnings about where he, he says that the churches have abandoned their first love. Okay? They've abandoned their first love, which implies they did love Jesus at one time. They were doing really good at one time, but then something happened. To Sardis, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Something that a lot of people call the small country churches out in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's a dead church, is what they'll say. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes there are dead churches out in the country because they have lost their first love. He says to Laodicea that it's a, a lukewarm church, which carries the implication that they were once hot and zealous, once hipping and hopping and, and doing great things, but over time they've cooled down. They've simmered out and realized that things are fine, like we've been here a long time. We've got it all together. They're lukewarm. And to uh, the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.5, he says this, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Okay, which implies they were here once and they've fallen. Repent, it says, and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So there's the sobering reality of Jesus saying not every particular church is going to stand forever. He even says it's not just going to fizzle out. He says, I'm going to take the lampstand from it. I'm the one that's going to blow out the candle and say, no more. You were not remaining faithful because of his judgment. This is God's judgment upon his own church. What we should take from these warnings and those from our text today is that we should be perpetually in a state of repentance all the time, digging down to the rock of our foundation in every single area of our lives. But as it applies to the celebration today in every matter of the church, we need to be thinking as a church, where can we get better? Not how awesome have we been, but how can we improve? How can we grow? How can we expand? How, we, how can we get a, a more magnified view of this area or that area to, to glorify God all the more? If our doctrine and practice are not rooted in God's word and finding Jesus there clearly, clearly exhibited, then we will find that when the flood breaks against our church, we will collapse. We don't know when that day will be. My prayer is that it will never be. That Jesus comes back and he opens those doors and we all get to walk out. That's my hope. Okay, that's, that's my prayer. But we don't know this. Okay, there, There's a little bit of dependency that is on us and what we are doing in our faithfulness back to God. Okay, So we need firm foundations. As we annually reevaluate ourselves with these homecoming services, we should be careful that we have not built any of our foundation upon the ground. I didn't misspeak there. Okay, If you look at verse 49 closely, it says you're not supposed to build it upon the ground. 
But the one who hears, verse 49, and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Okay? So this was the fatal flaw of the greatly ruined house, that it was built directly upon the ground. We might say it this way. It had only a surface structure, no depth. Okay? It didn't go deep down into the ground. It was just kind of sitting on top of the ground there. Surface. Okay? So sober celebration looks like digging down deep, deep into the recesses of our heart that we might find a firm foundation. Okay? But what is that foundation that we're looking for? That's really the question that we need to answer today. What is it that is that great foundation that keeps us from falling? Is it a law? Is it the law? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it well-ordered works as we look into God's word and say, well, he says to do this. Is this, if we just do this, is, is this how we will stand? Well, it might surprise you, but we aren't digging for more rules. It's actually not what we're looking for. If we're building our foundation upon obeying the law, that is actually bad news for you. Okay? Why is it bad news for you? Because you can't do that. You've tried to do that, right? You just confessed a minute ago, so I caught you. I know that you can't do it because you confessed with me in the confession of sin. You have broken God's law. You are a law breaker. You don't need more rules. You need saved from the judgment of breaking those rules. Okay? When we look at this passage, we might be tempted to think that the world or some culture or something out there, we always think it's out there, is the stream is the flood that comes and rushes against us. And the world's the problem. That's not what this is saying, okay? What we need to realize is that the the flood that comes and rushes against the house, the stream that comes against the house is God's judgment himself, okay? Who brings floods in scripture? God does. And the world mocks at that. They say, that's crazy. It's never gonna rain. It's not gonna flood around here. That's insane. Who is the one that pours out water from heaven? Where does water come from? It falls from above. No person puts it up there other than God. The streams, the flood that breaks against the house is Jesus saying, I'm removing that lampstand. That's Jesus himself judging his church, saying, you are not staying faithful to me. It's not that the world erodes it. Jesus says, I'm not standing by you anymore because you're not standing by me. And whose works stand up to a righteous and holy God? Mine don't. Do your your works stand up to a holy God? No. No one in here can stand up to a holy God. So you don't need more rules. What you need is a Savior, namely Jesus Christ. He is the one who's already kept all the rules for us. Okay? And once that becomes our foundation where we say that Jesus Christ is my rock and I profess him and stand on him, that is the foundation that we can then stand on where we're enabled to hear and then keep his words. We must first come to Jesus. If you're missing Jesus, you've missed this whole thing this morning. I'm not telling you how to live your life because if you try to do that, you're going to fail. It. Even if I gave you advice, it's not going to help you. What you need is good news. You need gospel. You don't just need more advice. Okay? And this text actually gives us a, a blueprint for a firm foundation, which is good news for us. So I want you to catch this here. Notice the order in verse 47, if you look at this. Verse 47 says this. Everyone who comes 
to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. Okay, which is the man that builds his house on the foundation. So this is the blueprint for a firm foundation. Comes, hears, does. Don't mess with that order. That's important. Reversing this order actually looks a lot like the second house. It does first. Right? It takes an assumption. It goes ahead and builds everything out. It's almost like Babel, isn't it? We can do anything. We'll build our way up to heaven. We'll meet God up there at the end. We'll start on the ground and build up. Okay? So, so it, if you do first, it assumes that we can build an anchoring foundation on our own. Okay, that, that will be fine, and we don't even really need a foundation. This church is all surface and no depth. Okay, the church that reverses the order. This church skips the hard work of repentance, of digging deep to find the rock, which is Christ Himself. It doesn't. It doesn't take seriously their own sin. It doesn't take seriously all the things that come with recognizing the holiness of God and your unholiness. Okay, it skips a lot because it's surface. Now these two churches are the difference between working for your salvation and working from your salvation. Right? We have two churches in this text. One is working from salvation. One is working for salvation. And the difference is literally eternal life. You've got to figure out which one you're trying to do. Okay? You cannot work for your salvation. You have to work from your salvation. So we've seen two houses in our text this morning. One that stands, one that falls. And, I, and as I chose this text for this commemoration this morning, uh, I did so because the reality is, is that all churches fall into one of these categories. You're either going to stand or you're going to fall. Okay? You've all seen churches that have opened up your door, their doors, big celebration, and then not too long after they fizzled out. You've seen that. You've also seen the churches that have been around for a really, really long time, and then something happened down the road, they close their doors, tear the building down. Some, something happens. But what you've never seen is a church that was well built on the foundation of Christ, that had come to him, that had heard his word, and took it seriously enough to do the things that he commands it, and then it suddenly collapsed. You've never seen that church. If you had seen that church, then Jesus is a liar because his word doesn't ring true. Okay? Because that, that church is the one that stands. That's the one that has a firm foundation. That's the one that doesn't receive the judgment of God. That doesn't happen because God's word says it doesn't happen. What does happen is churches have the appearance of being alive, but they're dead on the inside. This is the way that Jesus talks about them. They're, they're fully built up. They seem to be doing what they should be doing. They're going through all the programs. Then all of a sudden, their ruin is great. This can happen for many reasons. But all of them are due to a faulty foundation, not sticking with who Christ is and learning what that means first and then flowing out from there. Maybe they've trusted too much in their pastor. You might think the pastor is the foundation of the church, but if you remember that he too is a sinner, that you remember that's no foundation at all. If I walk out of this day, I walk out of this church this day and never come back and the church collapses I'll tell you what, that is, that is my fault that I've not pastored you closer to Jesus, where Jesus is your anchor, where Jesus is your foundation. And when you see a church that loses its pastor, that helped grow it up real big, and then he, he passes away, or he, he walks out, or whatever happens to him, and the church collapses, they have built it on the wrong foundation. They've not built it upon Christ. So you can't build a church upon a pastor. Okay? Why? Because he's a sinner. He's a sinner too. He can't save you. You might think that all your well-ran programs are the foundation of the church. 
right? You do, 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 right? You, you start with the doing, and then maybe along the way you'll catch Jesus, okay? But if you remember that it's ran by sinners, the programs are ran by sinners, then you realize that's no foundation at all. Because as soon as the person steps out that started that program, then it all collapses. You can't build your church on that. You might think that your theology is the foundation of your church, right? Just get it right on paper, Get, get, get your theology books all lined up and put them on a shelf and they look real pretty and say, that's what we stand on. That's our theology. But if you remember that it's sinners who wrote all those books and if you're putting your faith in them, that's no foundation either. I'm going to get in trouble here maybe. You might even think that the Bible is the foundation of the church. Okay? Scary ground here. Got a bunch of conservatives in the room. I'm one of them. You might even think that the Bible is the foundation of the church. The Pharisees did too. Okay? But Jesus confronts them to their face. He steps right on their toes and he says that you search the scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life. They don't. They bear witness to me. That's what Jesus says. Even scripture bows to Jesus. You try to build your church just on following the book, the doing, the following the works, you will collapse your church. The church is not built on the Bible alone. The church is built on Christ alone, period. He is the one that keeps it all going. Yes, I love God's word. If I get up here and I I decide to preach a sermon to you and I don't open that book, call me out on it. But it's not what makes us stand or fall. It's Christ alone. Okay? That's what I want you to get from this this morning. Not even the Bible alone can save you. Christ alone saves you. And everything flows out from that. All uh, All the rest follows. You must come first to Jesus. And then the hearing is opened up. Oh, Jesus gives you new ears to hear. Jesus helps you do. He gives you the spirit that helps empower you to be bold, to carry out the works that he has called you to do. So that is my invitation to you this morning, church. Come to Jesus. See Jesus clearly exhibited in his word so that, uh, so that you see that we can inspect ourselves, analyze ourselves and say we can't do it. We need help. We need the gospel. We need the good news of Jesus. And that's going to be how we move out. That's how, we, uh, how we're going to build. Does your blueprint look like the house that stands or the house that falls? Do we come first, then hear, then do? Or do we try to do, hear, and then come to Jesus along the way and find out that we haven't dug deep enough, that we're just a surface church, and we've been doing all this stuff, and then great ruin comes because one person falls out of the equation. We need to be very, very careful, church. Please, please do not put your faith in anything this morning other than Jesus as we move forward in our long history of a worshiping community. Let us thank God this morning for 204 years of testimonials of grace, not works. Grace. I believe Village Church has not abandoned its first love. I'm not preaching this because I'm trying to jerk a knot in your tail and show you, no, we need to get back to Jesus. We're a body that loves Jesus. But this is our reminder this morning, church, as we come back to our heritage, where we've been. I want us to also realize that if we're going to keep going in the same direction, we've got to stand on a firm foundation. I believe it's firmly founded upon Christ and obeying his word. But it's up to every generation, every year, truly every single Lord's Day to make sure that we are ensuring that we're digging deep down into the foundations and finding Christ. It's up to you, church, that the individual members To keep the heritage going. To take this internally, not just as a body corporately. Yes, we need to do that. But internally, we need to come each and every Sunday taking seriously what we're doing as we're going through the liturgy. 
Those, those confessions of sins, those assurance of pardons, those aren't just fun things to do looking back at tradition and giving a, a wink to, oh, good, good job. We, we used to be a traditional church, and we want to keep that. That's not what we're doing. We're taking this seriously, church. We're taking seriously all the motions of our worship. So, uh, church, you are the living stones that need reinspected. Okay? That's what we need to realize this morning. We are the lively part of the church, and we will continue to be so long as we stand upon Christ. And we do this by continually digging down deep into repentance, confessing our sins, shoveling out the dirt until our spades clink against the rock of Christ, assuring us of our pardon. Think about worship like that, where you're digging out the dirt, throwing it out in our confession of sin, and then all of a sudden you realize, clink, oh, there's Christ. That's good news. That's assurance of pardon. That's something I can stand on. That's something that the gates of hell won't even prevail against. That's where we need to root ourselves as a church. That's where we need to center ourselves on Christ alone. So Village Church, here's to another 204 years of God's amazing grace on this church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. You are so, so good to us, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he's done. We thank you that he is a firm foundation. We thank you that we can run back to him, not just every year, but every moment. We thank you that we can take seriously our, our failure, our breaking of the law. Realize that when we come to Jesus, we find one who has already kept the law for us. In all our failures where we haven't kept the law, we thank you, Jesus, that you show yourself as someone who has stood in our place, taking our judgment that we do deserve. That's already been done for us. So, Father, we want to thank you that you have poured out your your judgment, not upon us, but upon your son, Jesus. And we take root in that. We take firm foundations in that, recognizing that that is our rock, confessing Christ alone for our salvation, not our works, lest any man should boast. We come today to give you glory. Work on our hearts all the more. Help us as we've looked at your word to reflect. Help us to see that we as living stones may have areas that we can improve on. Show us our faults. Show us our cracks and our rocks that need filled. Give us mortar to fill those in our lives that we might have a, a firm foundation standing upon Christ and him empowering us all the more to live faithfully in your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue this morning by worshiping. So if you would please stand as we sing together in Christ alone. This is actually not the red hymnal. Uh, We've been building out out some newer hymns uh, of the church, uh, trying to stay fresh, trying not to stay too stagnant.